You're listening to a recording of a sermon delivered at St. Rose Community Church. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.sdrosecc.org. Good morning. Three and four-year-olds, you're dismissed to go back to your class. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, just slip up your hand and one of our church members will bring one to you. This morning, we're going to continue our journey through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, to the church in Corinth. Now, last week, we saw that Paul did not want these Corinthians to put their faith in man's wisdom. Paul was telling them that it was not his wisdom or his ability or his delivery or his creative philosophy that he wanted them to put their trust in. He was telling them that they should put their trust in God's power, through the Spirit, in the message that he was communicating to them. The message of the gospel. Now, this morning, we're going to see Paul is going to continue teaching us about God's wisdom. He's going to focus on the wisdom that they should put their trust in. God's spiritual wisdom. Our passage is a little bit longer than it usually is this morning, so stick with me. It's going to be rich and beautiful. So look with me now at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Paul says, through the Holy Spirit, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person 
judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray that your spirit would do the miracle that we just read about. We pray, God, that right now you would impart spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you notice some key words that Paul repeated over and over in this text? You probably noticed them. Wisdom, repeated seven times. Spirit, or spiritual, repeated 14 times. And God, repeated 15 times in these verses. This helps us to see what Paul's emphasis is in this text. God's spiritual wisdom. So in this text, Paul is going to show us who God's wisdom is for, how God's wisdom is revealed, and who it is that rejects God's wisdom. From the beginning of this text, Paul shows us that God's wisdom belongs to God's people. And this is our first truth this morning. If you're taking notes, truth number one, God's wisdom is for God's people. Paul is going to point to God's people three times in this text. Look with me again at verse 6. The first one is right there. He says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So the question is, who is Paul talking about when he says this wisdom is for the mature? Is he talking about uh, Christians with seminary degrees? Or uh, Christians who have been uh, Christians for decades? Or is he talking about an elite group of Christians? No. This term is not dividing God's people into two different groups. The term here that Paul uses for mature literally means having reached its end or having been perfected. Have Christians become perfected? Have Christians become matured? having reached our end? Well, in terms of our identity, yes, we have. A Christian's identity is in Christ, and Christ is perfect, and He has become our perfection, our completion, our maturity. Paul uses this same word in Hebrews chapter 10. Listen to what he says in Hebrews 10. For by a single offering, he, Christ, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What Jesus does for his people on the cross is he takes the place of an imperfect sinner and he gives that sinner the identity of the perfect son of God. All Christians are literally little Christs. We have an identity of perfection or maturity in Christ. Now, in terms of our behavior, none of us have reached full maturity. Amen? 
Listen again to Hebrews 10.10. Let's read this text again and focus on a different part of it. For by a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we've been perfected, but we are still being sanctified. Each of us are still growing in sanctification to be more like Jesus. Paul says, he talks about this uh, about himself in Philippians chapter 3. He says, not only, or not that I have already obtained this, or that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We're going to see, as we journey throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, that Paul is going to rebuke and correct these Corinthians plenty for their immature behavior throughout the rest of this book, especially next week in chapter 3. But when he talks about the mature here, he's talking about those who have their identity in Christ and have been perfected in him. So that's the first one. God's wisdom is for the mature in Christ. The next place that we see Paul point to God's wisdom being for God's people is in verse 7. Look at verse 7 with me. Paul says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Who is Paul talking about when he says this wisdom was decreed for our glory? Well, who is he writing this letter to? He's writing this letter to the church. He is writing to those who have believed in Christ's death burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins. And it is those people, God's people, who are destined for eternal glory. He says that God decreed this in his wisdom even before the beginning of time. That means that it was always God's plan to save his people through the blood of his son, Jesus. Ephesians 1 says this, He chose us. In him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Be encouraged, church. God is eternally wise, and he knew you before the foundation of the world. And you know what that should tell us? That should tell us that salvation and us being saved and knowing Christ has nothing to do with what we have done. It is only by his grace and for his glory, that we will get to enjoy him and his glory forever. All right? So we see Paul point to God's people one more time in verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for who? For those who love him. The kind of people who receive God's wisdom are those who love the Lord. Receiving God's wisdom is not just about something happening up here in the mind or in the brain. It's about something happening in here, in the heart. The heart that loves the Lord sees the truth of who God really is and sees the truth of who we really are, and worships Him. 
and loves him. God's people are a people who are in a loving relationship with Jesus. And those people receive God's wisdom. Now, not only does Paul show us in these verses God's people and that God's wisdom is for God's people, he also shows us who God's wisdom is not for. Look at verse 6 with me. He says, God's wisdom is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. God's wisdom is not of this age, and it is not for people who are of this age. God's wisdom is a wisdom of the age to come. It's not a wisdom of the kingdom of man. It is a wisdom of the eternal kingdom of Christ. This age that we all live in right now is going to come to an end one day. Revelation 11 speaks of that day. It says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The kingdom of the world will come to an end one day. The wisdom of this age seeks to convince you that your greatest joy is found in what this time and this place can offer you. What kind of things does the wisdom of this age say? You hear it every day when you're in your workplace or when you watch TV or when you listen to music or uh, when you read certain books. It's all over the place. Whenever uh, Blythe and I have date nights, one of the things that we love to do after we go to dinner is go to Barnes & Noble and drink some coffee and sit and read some books. And while I'm there, I often peruse the bookshelves and glance around at some of the book titles that are out there. And man, do I see some of the wisdom of this age in those book titles. The wisdom of this age says things like, your greatest joy will come in making yourself as physically beautiful as possible for the world to look at. God's wisdom says, seek the beauty that lies within and reflect God's beauty for all of eternity. The wisdom of this age says things like, your greatest happiness will come in being comfortable and secure and, and seeking pleasure from stuff and money. God's wisdom says, be willing to be uncomfortable in this world for Christ's sake and seek the pleasures that flow forevermore from His right hand. Church, we are not of this age. We are not of this world. Listen to 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
Look with me at one other thing Paul says about who God's wisdom is not for. Look at verse 8. He says, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Who crucified the Lord of glory? Who crucified the Lord Jesus? Rulers who were of this age. The pagan Romans and the religious leaders of Israel. Now, isn't it shocking that the very people who crucified God's Son are the very people that you would think would have received God's wisdom, right? You would think that if anyone had God's wisdom, it would be those elite Jewish religious Pharisees who spent their lives studying the law of God. You know what this tells us? God's wisdom is not about legalism. God's wisdom is not about going through the motions of religious rituals or religious events or going to a religious service. These religious leaders wrongly thought that their greatest joy would come from their good works, from doing good in this world and receiving the honor and praise of men and looking good in front of men. They exchanged the glory of God for a pale comparison, the glory of man, a foolish and unwise exchange. So we've seen truth number one, that God's wisdom is for God's people. Now, how is it that we receive God's wisdom? Our second truth this morning is this. God's wisdom is revealed by God's Spirit. God's wisdom is revealed by God's Spirit. Look with me again at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Paul says the only way that God's wisdom is received is if God's Holy Spirit reveals it. It's not through education. It's not through imagination. It's not through our own determination. It's through revelation. Listen to what Paul prays for the church in Ephesians chapter 2. He prays that the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. The Spirit is the one who enlightens our hearts. Now, how does He do this? How does the Spirit go about revealing God's wisdom to us? Three little sub-truths. So if you're taking notes under truth number two, these are three little sub-truths under truth number two about how the Spirit reveals God's wisdom to us. Number one, the Spirit searches the mind of God. The Spirit searches the mind of God. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. 
Paul says that no one knows the thoughts of God except the Holy Spirit. Do you know where the Spirit of God has put the thoughts of God for us? He's put it in this book. Why do we love the Bible so much in this church? It's because it's the very mind of God on paper for us to read. Y'all, there is a lot to know about the Lord in this word. Romans 11 says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. The Christian life is about knowing God. And the only way that we can dig through the treasure mines of God's wisdom is by walking with the Holy Spirit in this word. Listen to Galatians 5, 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The only way that we can dig through the treasure mines of God's wisdom is by sowing to the Holy Spirit. Listen to Galatians 6, 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. The only way that we can dig through the treasure mines of God's wisdom is by living by the Holy Spirit. Listen to Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That was the first thing that the Spirit does for us in revealing God's wisdom. The second thing, the Spirit helps us understand the gospel. The Spirit helps us understand the gospel. Look at verse 12 with me. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. What are the things, church, that God has freely given us? Forgiveness, and grace, mercy, salvation, eternal life, peace with God, and on and on and on. All of this is freely given to us because of the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. And this is the gospel. The Holy Spirit helps us understand the gospel. The good news about Jesus was a mystery for thousands of years in the Old Testament. Just as Paul said earlier in verse 7, God's wisdom was once secret and hidden. All of God's work in the Old Testament was pointing to something or someone. The priesthood, the sacrificial system, the prophets, the Passover, the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the curse and the blessing, the throne of David, the events of Joseph's life, the events of Jonah's life and Daniel's life, and, and on and on and on. What was all of this leading to? It was a mystery, but praise God that the secret and hidden mystery of God's wisdom has been revealed in the coming of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Romans 16 says this, it says, the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages has now been disclosed 
through the prophetic writings, and it has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. And Ephesians 3 says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy prophets, or his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us understand the mystery of the gospel of Jesus. And y'all, this is a miraculous blessing and wonderful grace of God upon us that he would give us this understanding. Now look at verse 13 with me for the third thing that the Holy Spirit does for us in revealing God's wisdom. Verse 13 says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The third thing the Spirit does, the Spirit teaches us so we can teach others. The Spirit teaches us so that we can teach others. The Holy Spirit of God uses the people of God to communicate the wisdom of God. And this is a miracle work of God that he would use broken jars of clay like us to communicate spiritual truth. This miracle is actually happening right now in this room. It's a miracle work of the Spirit of God that he would use a broken sinner from South Louisiana like me up here to impart spiritual truth to you. And Brandon would tell you the same thing if he was up here, except he would say North Georgia instead of South Louisiana. This is a miracle work of God that he is doing. And when we stand up here and impart spiritual wisdom and truth, we speak with a wisdom that is not from our authority. We speak with the spirit of God's authority. We can have boldness to say, Thus says the Lord, instead of, I think, or it seems to me. For all the Christians in the room, this is a word for you. Especially everybody who is gifted in teaching and preaching. Take note of what this text says. This text says, we impart God's spiritual truth, not our truth. People need to hear what God has to say, not what we have to say. We are not here this morning to hear from Stephen Picard. That would be an utter disaster. We are not here, we don't gather uh, together as a church to hear Brandon Langley's wisdom. We are here for God's wisdom. Preachers and teachers are not the chefs, we are the waiters. Our job is not to cook the food or even to make you like it. Our job is to get it to you and get it to you hot. W.A. Criswell says this, When a man goes to church, he often hears a preacher in the pulpit rehash everything that he's read in the editorials, in the newspapers, in the magazines. On the TV commentaries, he hears the same stuff over and over again. He yawns and goes out and plays golf on Sunday. But when a man comes to church, actually what he's saying to you is this, Preacher, I know what the TV commentator has to say. I hear him every day. 
I know what the editorial writer has to say. I read it every day. I know what the magazines have to say. I read them every week. Preacher, what I want to know is, does God have anything to say? And if God has anything to say, tell us what it is. Amen. The Holy Spirit reveals God's wisdom. Now, Paul closes our passage this morning by talking about people who reject God's wisdom. You might think, why would anybody reject God's wisdom? Well, let's explore that in our final truth this morning. Truth number three. God's wisdom is rejected by godless people. God's wisdom is rejected by godless people. Look with me again at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Who is the natural man that does not accept God's wisdom? Well, the word here that's used for natural man is used one other time in the New Testament. It's used in Jude 19. Listen to what it says. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Natural people or worldly people are those who are devoid of the Spirit of God. We talked about them earlier in this uh, text. They are those who are also described as of this age. They ignore the Spirit of God, and not only do they ignore God's Spirit... Paul says they call the wisdom of the Spirit of God foolishness. Why would people do this? Why would people reject the wisdom of the infinite Creator God? Two reasons. Reason number one, the message of the cross is seen as folly. They see the message of the cross as folly. The Gentiles and the Romans in Paul's day, saw it as foolishness. They thought, why would I choose the shame of a cross over the honor of the Roman Empire? They didn't realize that one day the Roman Empire would crumble, but the kingdom of Christ lasts forever. People today wonder, why should they trade the pleasure of the world for denying ourselves? People ask, why would I choose to be poor in spirit when I can be prosperous and comfortable here in America? They don't realize that one day the American dream will come to an end. But the kingdom of Jesus lasts forever and offers eternal pleasure and eternal greatness. Listen to Matthew 8. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul in eternity? In reality, the foolish life is really the life that chooses temporary glory and temporary pleasure instead of eternal glory and eternal pleasure in the Lord our God. Second reason people reject the wisdom of God because the message of the cross hurts our pride. The message of the cross hurts our pride. 
Today, people reject God's wisdom because it hurts their pride. Now, when you listen to worldly wisdom, that feeds your pride. But the gospel, by nature, crucifies our pride. Worldly wisdom will tell you all about your ability. Godly wisdom tells you about your inability and God's ability. Worldly wisdom says to rely on your power. Godly wisdom says you have no power and you must rely on the Lord's power. Listen to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. The natural man sees the cross as folly, but God's people see it as forgiveness. Now, Paul says one final thing in this text about what the godless person cannot do and what the spiritual person can do. Look at what he says in verse 15 and 16. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we who are spiritual, we who have the spirit of Christ, Paul is saying we can judge all things. Now, does that mean that we are uh, omniscient, that we know everything? No. He's saying that because of the Spirit, we are able to see the world as it really is. We are able to see creation and life as our Lord intended it to be and ordained it to be. We are able to see what God is doing spiritually in history. The natural and godless man, on the other hand, cannot make judgments about the spiritual man and the things of the Lord. How could a deaf man tell the one who hears how to hear? How can the lame man tell one who walks how to walk? How can the mute man tell others how to speak? The natural man cannot tell the spiritual man spiritual truth. He is, in fact, the foolish one, blind to God's work in history, while the spiritual man is the wise one who sees what the Spirit has revealed. So in conclusion, some takeaways for us from this text. Three takeaways for us as we close this morning. The first is this. Consider which wisdom you are walking in. Are you wise in your own eyes? Do you think that you have it all figured out and you don't need the spiritual wisdom of God? You might look at your accomplishments, your position, your career and say, I'm good. This spiritual stuff is not for me. You might think that you are smarter and wiser than all these spiritual people. I have a warning for you. God is a God of great reversals. He will destroy the wisdom of the wise. 
He will destroy the wisdom of the wise of this age. In God's kingdom, an uneducated fisherman who receives God's wisdom is eternally wise in the kingdom of God. While the highest, most educated white-collar worker with all the credentials but rejects Christ is foolish. A believing, homeless, poor person who receives God's wisdom is considered mature in the kingdom of God. While the corporate CEO who does not have the spirit of God is immature. The young child who receives God's wisdom is perfect in Christ. While the parent who rejects the Lord is doomed to pass away. So the word for you, seek God's eternal treasure, his eternal kingdom. Takeaway number two, this is for the Christians in the room. Depend on God's spirit. Depend on the spirit. We've seen all that Paul has shown us about what the spirit does and how dependent we are on him. Christian, when you read your Bible, depend on the spirit. Listen to what J.I. Packer says. But without the Spirit's help, there can be no grasp of the message of Scripture, no conviction of the truth of Scripture, no faith in the God of Scripture. Without the Spirit, nothing is possible but spiritual blindness and unbelief. How do we depend on the Spirit, church? Well, usually... Whatever you're not praying for is probably something that you're depending on yourself for instead of on the Lord. Final takeaway, takeaway number three. Again, for the Christians in the room, prepare for spiritual warfare. Y'all, we are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Christian, take up the sword of the Spirit. Have a wartime mentality about sin. Have a sense of urgency about the spiritual mission that we are on. Take a survey, Christian, of how much you are sowing to the Spirit and how much you are taking up the armor of God in your life. Sow to the Spirit and reap what He offers. I'll close with this. I love this, this verse because it, um, it challenges me so much in my spiritual life. Romans 8.5 For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the grace that you have shown us by giving your wisdom to us. We thank you, God, for the Spirit revealing truth to us that we can understand what you've done for us and have a glimpse of who you are. And Lord, you've even blessed us so much that you've given us 
a soft heart towards you. You've taken out our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. We thank you guys so much for that miraculous work and, and how you go even further and you choose to use us in your work. We get to participate in your mission that you are on to save your people. And we just can't thank you enough, Lord, for what you have done on our behalf. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and respond together in song. Christ in power resurrected 
dismiss you with this text that I mentioned at the very end of the sermon. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Go now and keep your mind on the things of the Spirit. You're dismissed.
already told me to. <laughs>